Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What is up, people? Welcome. Episode 2. That's right. Episode 2 of Unfiltered. Away we go. The Unfiltered Band. You weren't here for episode 1. They only play like two or three tracks. So go easy on them. There they go. You can't even see them. They're invisible. Okay, that's enough. Welcome to the podcast. We are unfiltered. If you want to hit me up on anything as far as topics are concerned, ideas you have, answers. We did a list last week. You want to complain about it? Hit me up on Twitter at Casey Stern. You can get us on YouTube at Believe's channel or mine as well. A lot to talk about today. We've got a couple of pods coming up here in the next couple of days. So as far as the holiday weekend, it'll be a holiday here for a lot of you, but not for all of the cast here at uh, Unfiltered. Today, we're going to talk about a few different things, but one of, in a lot of different baseball kind of, if you will, going around the horn scenarios on where we're at as we take the litmus test on, if you will, the first semester here of our season. But there's a lot of different things that you learn in sports are even weirder than they are for just us normal people with actually no athletic ability whatsoever. One of those, and we are believe, right? So this is fitting that it's going to be about this. But one of those relates to superstitions. Superstitions in baseball are bizarre. I talked about it a little bit in the last pod, in the first episode, when we discussed the no-hitters, right? Like the idea of how dumb it is that anybody would think that because I'm sitting here and tweeting out to you, let's say, that there's a no-hitter, right, after five innings, that in the sixth inning, if there's a hit, it's because I did it, and I'm the idiot, right? I'm the guy who screwed up. It has nothing to do with me, clearly. We understand that, like, when we're rational. People have superstitions, right? You know, this is my lucky shirt. This is my lucky hat. You know, we all have a lot of performers, right, that are singers, have, like, different things that they do beforehand, and actors, and, you know, they get into their their role, right? This is just how I kind of do it. And athletes take all of that to like a whole nother level. But it is fair and good that I happen to have a beard here because I didn't realize that that maybe everything about success is related to facial hair. You know, clearly that hasn't been the case for the Yankees, right? They're never allowed to have any and they've won plenty. Just ask all the kids who are like six years old and wearing all the, you know, uh, 26, 27, 28, looking for like, you know, I don't know how many rings they're going to be waiting for a while, perhaps, although this season it's gone so well. But we always talk about, you know, all these different superstitions that we have. The beard scenario with the Red Sox and my guy, Alex Cora, who I've known for a very, very long time. So for those who don't know the story, they came in, they played terribly. Everything was going wrong. They started, I think it was 10 and 19, right? He came in and I didn't even realize, I mean, I know his age, but if AC is listening, like, I don't ever think of him as old. I mean, he looked old. I mean, it really aged him. I forget about my two white hairs I've been picking out in a beard. Dude was just, I mean, he was sporting it big time, right? So the team was stinking up the joint and he, you know, look, it's like, it's one of these things I pause because if they had, instead of going 10 and four after what I'm about to talk about, they had gone like, you know, four and 10. Then it's like, what are you going to do after that? Like we never discussed what happens if the superstition doesn't work. Cause you know, he came in and he said, okay, I realize we're not playing well. And the quote was, I should have done this a long time ago and shaved his beard and went clean shaven again. Okay. And they're 10 and four since they've been playing great baseball. 
and everything is wonderful, right? Every everybody is it's you know whether it's the rally sticks, right? For you know you got uh, you know rally squirrels, the thunder sticks, you got rally squirrels, you got all kinds of different things that we 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 start to kind of get into, right? And say, okay, this is why, right? Throw an octopus on the ice, whatever it might be. I mean, th these are the reasons that we're winning as a team, and I think most of us take it in jest. Athletes do not like this is real for them. Okay. I don't know how many players are listening to this right now and are wearing the same underwear from like 14 days ago. It's scary. Some of these weird things that what was it, you know, eating chicken every day, right. For Wade Boggs. I mean, you know, Turk Wendell, who was uh, just a gem in, in his own right. Former Matt who used to jump over, you know, every line and wouldn't touch any because I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't even remember the story of like the first time, like what happened? He got electrocuted when he, I have no idea. So Alex Cora shaves and now they're 10 and four. So now it's working out. I'm curious if any of you have any weird superstitions that you believe in because, and get me on Twitter at Casey Stern. This gets me to a couple of things. One, my favorite sports movie, again, going back to believe, right? Cause it's fitting. But my favorite sports movie of all time has always been the natural always. And the whole story of that, you know, even though we all know about knocking the lights out and, you know, Roy Hobbs, right. And, and all of that. And how good Robert Redford was the bat that really the symbol, it's not the bat it's believing in yourself. Right. I think of a bat, my favorite movie. And I, anybody who knew me in my high school teenage years, I used to have a bat and carry it around and swing it around my room, not at things. But I would literally just walk around with a bat because Tom Cruise, Daniel Caffey in A Few Good Men, he used to say, I can't think without my bat. And he would walk around with the bat. And all of a sudden, then there was like a great idea that came. Like if it was that easy, do you know how many of us would have whatever your level of success is be that much higher, right? And even higher than that? It, it's not that simple. That's why I always say, what happens if it doesn't work? Well, you try something else. And then, oh, that was that was what it is. I know. I had to wear blue every day then all of a sudden everything's going to be spectacular right it doesn't work out that way but it makes me think of and in covering the red sox they're certainly fitting and I'll, I'll lead in this way with the superstitions the fan bases who are fans of teams that have sucked up the joint for a long time right and have lost in big spots and have failed in every miserable manner you could possibly imagine the fans of those teams believe that no matter what is going on, it's going to get worse, right? So they don't have superstitions that go right because nothing's ever gone right for them. So the way they look at it is they're always looking to find something new. And if something starts to go well, they get so surprised. We, we can't, no, you understand. I haven't gone to the bathroom in seven hours, but I'm not moving from this spot at the bar. I'm not leaving. Makes me think of like those idiots. I, I grew up in New York and I've never, I, I'm proud of this. I have never been in that, you know, soiree down, what is it, in 7th Avenue, right? Where they have the ball drop for New Year's Eve. I've, I've never done that, even being there. Only people who don't live there want to do that, right? The people who even live in the area can't wait to get out. But part of it because they're renting out their rooms, I'm sure. Right. So people could watch it. I get it. If you're like having a hotel suite and having a party and watching it down the idea of I'm going to go sit there and freeze my butt off for 10 hours, literally before I start to look at Ryan Seacrest and, you know, Jenny McCarthy or whoever and, and watch these bands. There's I, I can't get a drink like I can't go anywhere. 
like, what have I brought? Like, like some chips, maybe a peanuts and cracker jacks, right? You get those. Like, the idea that's crazy, but people are superstitious as fans. Like, I, I will not move from this spot. This is my seat. This is where I watch the game. I think of in another great movie, Silver Linings Playbook, right? With De Niro, with the Eagles. Like, I have to wear this. I have to do it this way. Red Sox fans, I remember being at the Kaskenflagen and sitting there because my job, part of it during covering the series in 2004 when they came back, was to kind of get the fans. We did a piece called The Voice of the Nation, Red Sox Nation. Now everyone's got a nation and a universe. I mean, really get over it, people. But we used to, it's like, you know, Mr. Red. Excuse me, Mr. Med is here. Don't, you know, put on a mustache and go be like a different team. That's why they started off so poorly. When you sit there and you look at a Red Sox fan, they were so pained that I can tell you, because I was there, when they were down 10 to three or up 10 to three after Damon hit, I think it was a grand slam, right? Off Javi Vasquez. There were fans, I mean it, who when someone would go to high five, and I was sitting right there, somebody would go to high five, they would not high five the people back. Like, you don't understand. If I high five you back and we accept that we're winning, then we're going to lose immediately. It's going to be terrible. It brings me to life as a Met fan because a lot of you don't know me. People who do and who listen to me for years on radio have already understood my pain that I've experienced throughout the entirety of my life, when I made the decision, which was not a smart one, that instead of following suit with the Yankee fans that are in my family, and they're all Yankee fans, okay? I was named after Casey Stengel. I was not named after Casey Stengel, the Mets manager, okay? My first dog's name, who I love to death, Mickey, uh, named after Mickey Mantle. Okay, everything was all of that, all right? There was 37, like, it was everywhere, right, Casey Stengel, okay? So the decision I made to rebel at like five years old, right, was not a smart one, all right? It, it was like temporarily smart Islander fan, and then, oh, wait, you're going to have to wait and lose for like the rest of your life now. We start with the Stanley Cup, we go backwards. But the decision I made has, has brought me a lot of pain, some joy, some. It's there, so I don't remember any of it. I've been hypnotized by therapists to forget it, but it's there somewhere. But being a Met fan is like, you know, what do they say? Lead a horse to water, right? It's like being, you know, drawn after, you know, time in a desert to like a giant pool. And like, you're like salivating. You almost want to drink it, not even swim in it, right? You jump in a pool and hit the cement and realize there's actually no water here. I mean, that, that is legitimately what it's like. So the superstitions... They don't exist. The only thing that you're superstitious about is how much more time do I have to be happy before it's going to be a nightmare? But I feel differently about this team. I got to I, I have to I got to be totally fair. And I, I always will be kind of down the middle, even about that team. Right. I'm usually harder on them than I should be. Actually, maybe that's part of the superstition. If I hate them, then it'll all work out. But as a Met fan. You realize the difference. <clears throat> I mentioned the Islanders before, but a lot, of, a lot of people who are watching and listening to this are fans of teams who you have seen the franchise change when the management changes. We've seen that all the time in sports, right? I think about when Dick Vermeil took over the Rams, right? What happened with them? Jim Leland took over the, and this is not against like the people before them. It just, it is what it is. Yeah, Jim Leland took over the Tigers. I talk about this often for years on the radio, but 
when Jim Leland took over the Tigers, they had been losing for so, so long. And this was definitely calculated. It was not like by accident that he did this. But they had been losing for so, so long a period of time that it was, and you could check, I think it was like two weeks into the season. They were, I don't even know if they were like four and four. It was really early in the year, okay? And they lost the game, and he went nuts. Like, throwing tables, screaming at the media, like, you know, and part of it, if you go back to the diatribe that's in there, is we are not going to accept losing anymore. We, we're, that's This is not who we're going to be anymore. So the players who are here and the fans who are watching who are like, oh, this is another day, this ain't going to be another day. This is not who we're going to be moving forward. And I'll never forget that because if you think about, and I know, look, <clears throat> you know, Verlander ran into Pujols. Like, they had their issues, right, when they got there. We had, you know, the PFP situation, which is something people hate when they get to spring training, but cost them big time in a World Series that, in my opinion, may be the worst of all time. It was incredibly boring. And the travel as a media member, hello, I mean, really complaining. It was just, it's, it's a, it doesn't seem like it's far away. It was anybody who's watching, oh, yeah, it was pain in the neck. But in 06, also, I'm a little bitter because I had to watch Yadier and Molina, Aaron Howman just a little bit before that. But if you think back to, what he did, it changed that that changed everything. You know, Barry Trotz, who like it's right, only the Islanders. Oh no, it, no, he's not good enough. I don't care. I don't care how slow it's going. We're slowly winning. Like, what do you mean slowly winning? Like, hey, I'm gonna go to the roulette table, right? So here's the deal. You could you could lose really fast or you could win really slow. And I guarantee you, you're gonna win. Like, this is always a winning number, this Barry Trotz thing, right? And you know, people are gonna be like, I don't like you at the table. Okay, fine. You're not like, I, mean, I don't like the way you play. Okay. But you're going to win. Like, it's going to be slow and trotting. People are going to yell at you and you're going to win. Who doesn't take that? I'll win. Can we win, please? Right? But it's, it's a change. Not only the ownership. And a lot of people talk about Steve Cohen, right? And all the money and putting it behind, you know, all the things he said, which is certainly right there in front of you with the Cano situation, all the money that they ate, right? But if you think about Buck Showalter, and you think about what he has done for this team. Buck Showalter has brought an aura that has brought calm. Now, I know he hasn't won a World Series, but this is a guy who's won a lot of games in his career, right? Very well respected. And anybody will tell you, I mean, you know, there were some wear out your welcomes in terms of how much power, you know, he would have in whether it's Texas and Baltimore and with GMs and, and owners and different things. But this is a guy whose IQ and game managing is like, I mean, it's 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 if it's not one one, he's right there. Like if that's if that category was up there. Right. And you were doing all like the ratings, like the Madden ratings, the Madden rating would be like a ninety nine for that. But what he has brought and this is nothing against. And I happen to think, you know, Ross is at least Ross, a really nice guy. Um, you know, they, they've had, you know, the Callaway situation, you know, but notwithstanding. I love Terry Collins. And I think he, you know, got a bad rap after he really did adjust from his time as a manager the time before the stint before and did a really good job with the Mets overall. But what Buck Showalter has brought is what every fan that's listening and every player listening wants that stability, right? It's the Doc Rivers thing that we've seen with Frank. I mean, there are many of these, right? It's why Bill Parcells would have a job like, you know, with a new team anytime he wanted to, because they thought, okay, he'll turn it around, right? Like we used to get away with everything, but now the inmates not running the asylum anymore. Like, boom, we're going to fix this thing. That's the way Buck Showalter has presented himself and been 
this entire time, but it's been with levity. It's been because he's not taking things seriously because the problem with the Mets has been the way they've been managed and the way they're run. It is always like the house is on fire. It is always like we need to panic. You know, anybody will tell you the greatest thing we, we all over managers in general and coaches. I'm, I don't want you to get mad at me. You get them all wrong. Like, you overrate things you shouldn't. You underrate things you shouldn't, okay? Let's start with, like, the overrate, okay? Here's one of my favorite things that I ever hear about coaches and managers over the years. They take some water. One of the things I, I always have loved is the idea, okay, which is, is fascinating to me. So think about this. The idea that, and, and you've, I guarantee you, you have said this about your team. There's no doubt, okay? Uh. He doesn't know how to get the guys up for the game. He, he, you know what? He's he, he, the team's not motivated. That you, you see what they do there? They look like they look like they don't care. First of all, no one looks like they care, like at least not positively, when they're losing. Okay? <laughs> like no one looks doesn't matter what you're losing, okay? Someone broke up with you, like you don't look like, oh, like I'm really motivated now to go win a game, okay? Your car just got repossessed. It's pulling out of the driveway. Can't wait for tonight. Like, it's not that way, right? So, you have to, like, no one looks good when they're losing. It's the chicken or the egg. What comes first, right? Is it that they're losing because they weren't motivated or they look this way because they're losing? And there, it really depends on the team, the person, or whatever the story is. But in, in what scenario, what walk of life, like anywhere, think about this. People who are successful and this is for any of you in any industry, right? Anywhere. But the percentage of athletes that get to the big leagues, the big stage, and in this case, baseball, is we're talking about the, the less than 1% of everyone, right? Which is why, oh, it's the hall of very good. Like, look, there are some people like the Harold Bates situation, right? Like there is because of these committees that shouldn't be in these hall of fames or maybe, you know, they or whatever. But the hall of fame would be like eight people if the idea was, well, I, I can't know. You see, it's ridiculous. I'm I'm not going to have a Mussina or whoever it might be in the Hall of Fame because, you know, he's not Sandy Koufax or Bob Gibson. No, he's not Sandy Koufax or Bob Gibson. But if you had to be Sandy Koufax, Bob Gibson, Ted Williams, or Willie Mays, we'd have 14 people in the Hall of Fame. You already have the 1% of the less than 1%. That's not a lot of percent, okay? There's not even a milk for that. There's not a lot of percent. That's skim to none, all right? So, I mean, what do you people expect? But getting back to that, right, and think about it, if you are at the point where you are an athlete and you've made it to that level, like this is, this is who you are, right? You don't think you're motivated to do well? Like you think you woke up? Now, you may think our team stinks and not say it out loud. Sure, okay? You may think we have no chance to beat them, and that's not a good way to think, but you may think that and not say it out loud, I'm sure. But here's the thing about baseball that people get more wrong about coaches and managers than they do even with the other teams, because you would call a bad play, right? Like you think about out of bounds plays in the NBA, right? If you have a coach that doesn't understand what he's doing in the four or five moments in the whole game, because you get to pick the rotation that you're going to use in a minute and fine. But if you don't understand in the five moments, I'm asking you to know more than me, Right. Because I'm playing the game and we're in a bit of a moment. I need you to be thinking in the chess piece right ahead. If you in those five moments are one for five and are putting us in situations to fail and are miserable, then I got a problem. 
right? That's your, this is your show. This is where you show up and do the thing, all right? Where you do what you got to do, okay? That's how it works. The idea that a baseball player in a one-on-one game, because look, I'm not saying you're trying to cherry pick stats like a situation with some batting title, you know, scenarios right at the end of the year. But a baseball player, first of all, they you can't go a whole year without giving up an at-bat because there's going to be a time that you're down eight nothing and you're like, I've, I've stunk today. And it's not you're physically, you're saying I'm giving up an at-bat, but in talking to players, I mean, who are listening to this, they know that. I mean, you're probably not at your best and you're going to, you know, either swing at a slider you shouldn't or, or whatever it is with your head down to the dugout. But baseball players, they know their own numbers. They know what they have in terms of their goals at the beginning of the year. They don't go out there and say, you know what? I'm going to strike out four times today. You don't have to motivate a baseball player to want to do well because, yeah, they love their teammates and they want to win, but they're going up there and it's one-on-one. And when you're one-on-one in any walk, no matter what the heck, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You want, and I mean against someone, right? You want to be better than them. You want to win. If you're saying you don't, then you're probably losing. Okay? Like, people think it's like you're not allowed. No, you should want to win. It's okay. I don't care if it's like you're fighting your best friend or you're playing like, I remember I had a friend who, if he's watching this, I, I won't name him and, you know, lay him out for this. But we used to, when we were like in junior high school, we play like Sega Genesis, right? So old I am. And he would do this thing that drove me crazy. If you ever played Street Fighter, the old game, and you probably could do this in any of these, right? If you go ahead and you, let's say you're on the left side of the screen, right? The other guy's on the right side. And he backs up into the corner, or you're hitting him and you get there, and you keep kicking his leg and hit the button enough times. Like, I, I guarantee you right now, to some of you who have never done this, you're like, what is he saying? And there are other people who are pulling over on the side of the road to tweet me. Because this happens all the time. I People like this, I, I really, this is like, there's a room somewhere, and you, I want to put you in it. My friend was like this, and I, he's still my best friend, but he was like this. And he would just, I, you can't move. It's not fair. Like, okay, like, I, I, what am I supposed to do here? Like, I, you know, I, my hands are tied, right? And I remember there was a time I may or may not have thrown his Genesis controller out the window. It, not into a window. The window was open. It's okay. You know, I said I was sorry. It hit the porch. It, it didn't live. And I apologize. I didn't bury it anywhere. But, like, you know. There's sometimes like you get angry and you get frustrated, but when you're one-on-one, you want to beat anybody. It doesn't matter what it is. They're motivated already. They don't need, if a, if a player needs motivation to play well, that's the player's problem, not the coach. If the game is called wrong, the lineup should be different. They don't understand the alignment, the defense. That's different. That's a different thing. Okay. That's a different thing. Now there are exceptions to this. I love, you know, my favorite sports story of all time is, is 1980 Olympic team, Lake Placid. And my favorite item that I have of any kind of sports memorabilia, and I don't have that many, is a signed plaque from the team and the picture of, uh, not to me, but that I bought. Like with, you know, Craig and, and the whole thing with the flag. I mean, it, that is, I could watch Miracle and just be fine like any night. Like there's like, or you actually have to watch it in the morning because then like you want to do everything, right? It's like why people listen to Rocky when they go and work out. But there is there are different scenarios. Sure. You want to tell me like, you know, the pep talk, you know, Hunter Pence in a dugout or Hayward in the rain delay or all these other different things. Yeah, there are there are certain things like that that happen. What the coach say at halftime, like we all want to be Jim, Eugene Hackman and Hoosiers like, OK, any given Sunday. Right. With Al Pacino. I think of the one in Miracle when and the one I always think about 
not, you know, so much of, you know, uh, you know, it's our time, but the one where the player is hurt and they've got to get him out there. They need him for the third period and they know he's banged up and he purposely goes in there, Herb Brooks, and basically, you know, tells him that he's being a whip because he knows he needs to find that extra, give me 110%, but he needs to find the 100, right? Because look, we, let's be honest, we all push hard. 100 is not a place we always go. Sometimes we don't even know what 100 is until that moment where you have to get there. All right. And that's what he had to do. And he had to get him there. So those things happen. But the idea that coaches motivate players and we blame the coaches is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Now, he lost the room. He or she is a different thing. Let me bring that up. I have seen that. And I, I'll, I'll be fair. Bringing one up. OK, one of those where I've seen that is Matt Williams and the scenario with the Washington Nationals. Okay, and this is not just because I'm a dusty guy and it changed over that way. But the Washington Nationals, that room was he lost them. But a lot of that was in the way that he handled things and communicated and the decision making. Right. Of of some of the things that had occurred. They lost six games at the end of a season to a Met team that was at 500 and was terrible because he kept putting Drew Storen out there against you on Cespedes. And I mean, it was it was like, you know, going up against the boogeyman at the time. And he kept the same thing. Insanity is the same thing over and over again. But. You can lose a room. It's mostly because of the way you're handling your players, because you don't understand them. One of the greatest things that has ever been said to me in terms of leadership, and it's funny, I have had GMs that I'm friends with write down and use this quote and have used it and then texted me back that they still use it. But it comes from Leo Mazzoni, and he told me this on the air. I want to tell you it had to be at, at least 16 years ago, Okay. But the great swing back in the dugout, and he is a trip. I mean, he is great. But the great pitching coach for the Braves for all those years, Leo Mazzoni, said to me once on the air, and I don't even remember what the question was, but he said the key that he learned to coaching, right, and having success in coaching, and this is, is for any of you listening about leadership, um, parenting, I mean, really, I, I, I believe this goes overarching anywhere, is know where to blow smoke and where to light fire. And I'll say it again because it really is so good. But the key to coaching being knowing where to blow smoke and where to light fire. That is, think about it. Like if your parents, yeah. Think about it, if you're like a child has a parent in the way you get treated or a player who has a coach or you are a coach or you're running an office or a dealership or a brokerage or whatever and you're trying to get people. Like it is totally the key because everyone's not the same. Everyone is not the same. And a lot of us, it depends on the time. I, I, I look, I mean, we're all humans, right? Like, so I've had times in my life where for the most part, I very much am. And it's not a large category. Uh, straight shooter is the best way to get me. Right. Because I, you know, nobody wants to take it, but I can. The other way is the hardest for me. Right. But there are times where you need a push and you need that blowing of, Hey, you know, pat on the back, you know, you're good. You know, don't worry about the O for four. Right. Here's a moment like this from a teammate. Now, Carlos Beltran, who is now thought about for different reasons, right, with the whole Astros thing. So I'm about to say a nice thing about something with the Astros. Don't, don't get mad at me. But the Carlos Beltran scenario that I bring up is I love George Springer. This guy, first of all, he's an amazing person. The work that he has done after, you know, having a, you know, a, a, as a, and I don't know the official as a, a stutter writer, speech impediment as a dealing with that in his childhood. I mean, I know people that he has like spent time with their kids, not for show, 
Because it's one thing to do it for show. Like, you know, Mookie Betts getting caught. No one even knew. Like, after game two of a World Series, going outside to give the rest of the spread for the players to the homeless people, like, that dude, like, should be loved forever for that. Nobody, he, he didn't even want to be, no one, no one was supposed to even see that, right? George Springer is a guy who's unbelievable with, with people and the community and being open about what he went through and all of that. But George Springer, who is one of the best World Series and postseason performers, forget just the last 10, 15 years, the numbers. I mean, those Astro players, right? They're all up on the list now. I know you're mad, but they're all up on the list, okay? George Springer had struck out, I believe, four times. I believe. I believe four times. I, I think he struck out four times in the first game of the World Series, okay? The next four games, he had the best four-game performance of any hitter we've ever seen in a World Series. Well. Is this what I'm about to tell you, the reason it happened? No, I'm sure a lot of people have heard this story, but I want to bring it up because it came to my mind as one where it. Oh, there we go. I got muted. Sorry. So the one where you get into a situation where it's the blow smoke and the light fire, right? He goes over four and he's sitting down in the dugout after the game, probably feeling down on himself. Carlos Beltran came over. Now, Carlos Beltran is a guy who, and I've talked about this, and, and th I'm going to lead this back into where we started this in a second. But Carlos Beltran is a guy who has been through this, which I'll explain in a different way. But Beltran sat next to George Springer, and I don't you know, have the quotes in front of me, being honest, exactly what the words were, but basically telling him, hey, just one game. Go out there and have fun. You're fine. It's no big deal. George Springer barely meant an out the rest of the World Series was the MVP of the World Series. I remember we interviewed him during, it wasn't the next day, but it was, it was not after the series, like during the series, after one or two of the great games, and he continued them, right? And I remember he said his words. I asked, what, what was the change? Now, do I think this is it? No, but I think it's because it relieved him and gave him some peace of mind, and then he was able to believe in himself, and there he went, right, and did it again. But Carlos Beltran told him, hey, you're fine. You're good. And he said that was the reason that he had the right. I mean, you could, literally, he said that was the reason. And Beltran was a fantastic teammate, which, by the way, he adjusted with. He was not a great teammate when I covered him. And he was fine to me, so sorry. But he was not like when I covered him. Okay? But I don't remember. I'm laughing because, like, I remember years after I covered him, I was covering, like, a Caribbean World Series. And I was down there in, in Puerto Rico, which I love. And I th I'm trying to remember where it was one of these like media parties. It was a party at, um, oh gosh, I'm trying to remember what the name, I, I can't remember. The, I think it was the El San Juan, right? I, I believe the hotel. And I was in the bathroom and, you know, like you're stall and I'm like, sure. You're looking ahead, you're whistled. It's like, one of those like, you don't pay attention. And like, you know, I looked up always. You can always look up. Always look, you can't look down. You can look up. Looked up and and Beltron. Hey, it was hey, it was very weird. But he's always nice to me. But he's not a great teammate then. All right, it's why it's why Billy Wagner had to after a game that he didn't even have involvement in have to yell at the media and say, "Why the hell are you guys talking to me?" And was pointing over there. He was one of those over there's that he was being pointed right. But he became a great teammate. But think about that. That's that that kind of motivation. It helps because there's moments where you need it. But don't tell me like a season went awry, like the whole year they didn't care. Like, no, but there's moments where it's why 
when you know Joe Madden, another guy, fantastic with this. I remember, and the Rays didn't win anything the year I'm going to bring up, but there was a year you can go back and check, and this is legitimate, that he was a regular. Joe's, Joe's an unbelievable person. I got to know him very, very well personally, and he was really, really kind to me. He is such a super – he is a – there's a lot of those, like, I wonder if they're really real. I'm telling you right now because I'm real. Like, I'm, you know, I'm nobody. I just, big, big mouth, right? Just like you doing this stuff. Joe Madden is, I've, I've sat and been able to sit with him at a dinner table, just talk. And he is, he is such a super nice guy. He's an amazing person. But in cover, in having him as a regular for years, Joe Madden had a team that was like 18 games under 500, the race. I think they were 18 games under. And, they were like the all-star break. And he was like, oh, we're, we're going to be over 500 soon. Like, there was no way they were ever going to be over 500. And they were. And they actually, I think, almost made the playoffs or just got in. But he continued. Now, again, going back full circle, what happens if it doesn't work? Well, then he was just wrong and we forget, right? That's how it goes. But you want to give confidence. Let me go to Beltron for a second. When, and it's a civil war quick. When Carlos Beltron came to the Mets. The first year he was there, he was awful. Okay. I remember the second season that they had him. It was eight games into the year and he was getting booed mercilessly. It was like the Mets fans decided, okay, you know what? It was year one. That's fine. Year two, you got, you got eight games. We'll give you eight games to figure it out. Please eight games. And then they, they now we're going to boo the hell out of you. But look, Derek Jeter got booed by Yankee fans. I think he went out for 32 once. I mean, my heavens, right? So, Beltron ends up as a Met having an unbelievable career. Like he was great. He was great for them. The dude was great for them. Everybody thinks about like the Wainwright play with the strikeout. Nobody was going to hit that pitch. Yeah, should you, it's like, oh, we should have swung to end this. If you knew it's the end of the season, you go down swinging. Well, what if it was like over his head? Like, it, you know, we use arguments to make arguments. That's a, I always love this about people. Like we, we find things that like, no, 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 here. But then what about the other part? I'm sorry. I got to dial tone. I hear the other part, right? Right. Or the, the article ended at that sentence. But Beltron turned it around and had a great career. And he's a guy who was in Kansas City. I mean, because he had just come off the eight home runs in the postseason which is how he got that. And look, you know, BJ Upton had, I think, eight home runs also. It didn't work out as well. I think Freddie Gonzalez is still trying to put him in the lineup with the Braves. And now it's Melvin, so you can't put it as BJ. But that's not to get on him, I'm just saying. But he ends up getting the big contract, right? He had never been in a moment like that before. He had never experienced anything like that before. In Kansas City, and they're unbelievable, okay? And they've got an unbelievable, you know, group of people that run that team and organization and you know, Swanee who had been retiring, been there like for a million years. So their PR, they don't have that many writers. You go into Kansas city and in the middle of a season, you could talk to whoever you want. Okay. You go into New York after that contract, you can't even talk to your own family because you're still at your locker answering questions hours after the game. It is a whole new world, Aladdin. Okay. And a whole different deal. All right. You know, I mean, you know, it's but the thing is, right. And I'll use the Aladdin, the diamond in the rough of all of this is that. If you if you get through the adjustment of that time, it works out. And it's different for everybody. I bring this up because Tre Trevor Story coming full, full circle here. Trevor Story is the biggest reason that the Sox are 10 and four, not Alex Cora shaving. OK, Trevor Story is the biggest reason that they're 10 and four, because. 
you know, sometimes it takes any of that one big game that started, right? Sometimes it takes a moment to change things, a moment where everything becomes different and you feel like yourself. Oh, this is what I do. Like, it's okay. I'm at Fenway Park. Okay. Like, it's at a different stadium, but this is what I do. It's no different than anywhere else. That is something that a lot of players don't get when they go to these cities. Carl Crawford is an unbelievably, was an unbelievably talented player when he played. Unbelievably talented. Played for the Rays his whole career before he had gone to the Red Sox. He, he wasn't Carl Crawford. He wasn't CC. He was like, you know, like half of one C. I mean, not playing good in the field, not hitting. He wasn't himself at all. Now, you know, some players admit this, some don't. And it's not on purpose. Like, it's not like these guys are trying. Like, Javier Vasquez didn't say, I want to stink. You know, Carl Pavano or whoever you want to bring up, Kevin Brown after the contract. Like, whatever guys you're like, Bobby Bonilla. Like, I, no, I, you know, whoever fails in a big spot, right? Or when there's a lot of pressure on, a lot of times they don't know why it's happening, but they're not comfortable. And Trevor's story's gotten comfortable. He's not a loud, you know, vociferous guy. He's gotten comfortable, and that is the story with the Red Sox. You could say shaving all you want, because what happens the next time you go five and ten? I mean, I think we all know that tongue in cheek. I'm just saying, but it, it brings up the st- again. It's comfort. It's why you know Springer went back and got comfortable. Okay, now I can go and do this thing. Right? We're good. Like everybody needs in life or in sports that that moment, you know. And and that's something to remember because. You know, you could find the most talented and, and, you know, hardworking, conscientious person on earth. They're all going to have real world issues, real life problems, right? Like players have problems. You know, guy may be 0 for 20, but, you know, maybe they have a situation where there's, you know, heaven forbid, an illness with a child or something going on. Like that pat on the back, that comfort level, that can stop you the rest of the season going that direction. But people often don't realize the difference that that makes. I'll close with a story today. And again, another episode three. And I'm curious of some of your thoughts on some of the coaching and the motivating and some of these things with superstitions. And for the players that are listening, is there a superstition that really has kind of been your favorite if you're allowed to share it, a former player? Because if you, if I share it, then it's no, then it's over. But we've got episode three uh, coming up. And one of my uh, favorite people who's a nut job, who is now retired, Todd Frazier is going to join me on that. Uh, Dusty's coming up. i got some good guests. We're going to have a lot of things and a lot of fun. So keep out for the podcast. I'll keep letting you know, and I'll try and make it more kind of specifically what day it's going to be. It got odd with the holiday weekend. But I'll close you with a fun story about being comfortable and not being comfortable relating to myself. Okay, I have always been comfortable speaking in front of people when I know what I'm talking about. I, I always would tell people this for years. People have public speaking issues in school, right? And I, I would say, like, they don't, you know, how do I get in front of a class? And I always say to people, think about this, okay? If I ask you to go in front of anywhere, forget a class right now, and talk about the Pythagorean theorem or Magellan, and I only say that because I had to do one of these or whatever, it's because you don't know, care about what you're talking about at all. If I ask you to go talk about why you love your your sister, your son, your family, the Mets, whoever, you make it it makes it easy for you. But for me, I got out of my element. It's anniversary of the fifty cent uh, fifty uh, first pitch. When I bounced the first pitch, the last time Will Myers was ever behind the plate ever in his life, and he never caught again ever, ever, and I still have the ball. 
I had not thrown any warm-up pitches, never thrown off a rubber, am not tall. Jeff Nelson, Nelly, former Yankee reliever, told me, dude, uh, you you really, if you didn't do warm-up pitches, told me right before I went downstairs in the press room, because I was panicking. I, had, I They never got me any warm-ups, and they had promised. I'm not trying to get mad at the Royal staff, going back to Kaufman, where it was. But he's like, aim high. He's like, please, he'd never thrown off a rubber. Now, I'm thinking aim high like at my level. I didn't realize what he meant, that if I aim at my level because of my height, it's going to dink down which is what happened. It was highly embarrassing, but I'm going to be totally honest with you and transparent. When I walked out in the field, and which it was crazy. It was a Sirius XM Futures game. It's the only reason that I was the person doing it. But I, their screen there at the K is huge. I never see my face that big. I looked up. I panicked. Literally was like, if you would have given me a mic on the mound, <clears throat> I would have sang to you for crying out loud. I don't care. I don't care what anyone thinks. But when I took the ball and they showed me and I waved, I'm telling you right now, if, if being your pants is cool, I'm Miles Davis. I don't think I literally did it, but I was in my mind, if that's a thing. If you're not comfortable, you're not going to succeed no matter what it is. Take that with you, people. I mean, who said I didn't ever teach you anything? Podcast episode number three of Unfiltered is coming. I want to hear you. Get at me, at Casey Stern. Uh, continue to believe, because you got to B-L-E-A-V. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.